Hey Keto Freaks, here's an update on Keto Fest. We have a date! The weekend of July 15th and 16th, 2017. Keto Fest is a ketogenic festival for everyone, not just doctors and nutritionists. Richard Morris and I, along with a host of keto rock stars, are turning the entire coastal town of New London, Connecticut, ketogenic the entire weekend of July 15 and 16. Some of the best minds in keto have already said they want to come and speak, including Jimmy Moore, Megan Ramos, Ivor Cummins, Dr. Jeff Gerber, Dr. Eric Westman, and Dr. Ted Naiman. We'll have an outdoor food festival with live music, fitness lessons, cooking lessons, walking tours, bike tours, Segway tours, movies on the historic Guard Theater's 60-foot screen, and of course, great talks by our rock stars. We'll be doing a Kickstarter campaign soon to sell tickets. Meantime, go to KetoFest.com and register. KetoFest, real keto for real people. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and this time I really am back in Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on a ketogenic diet for over three years. Uh, in fact, I believe it was April 2014 that I started. Three years. Yeah, and when I started, I was very sick from complications from type 2 diabetes. And within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind those. We hope to share some of that research. Uh, where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. Sure do. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. Cannot. <laughs> no. All right. So let's start podcast number 59, Type 1 Diabetes. So, Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week? Actually, I think we have one from this week. We're a little bit late in publishing, and we apologize for that. We had a bit of audio yeah. problems with me and going back to Australia. Um, but I think we got it worked out, and I think we got a, we got a show for you. Yeah, we got a great show. Mm. And uh, last week, Megan knocked it out of the park. Ah, that was such a great show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that one was actually recorded in Breckenridge, and we did yep. the uh, beginning of it while I was in New London, Connecticut. Of course, I'm back in mm -hmm. Canberra now, so uh, so we go back to our regular scheduled audio. Yep. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. So this week, actually, we're going to talk about a particular ketogenic diet, and that is one that okay. uh, two of our admins, uh, Brenda and Donna, have done over the month of March. And this diet, they basically challenged each other and anybody else who was silly enough to join in to <laughs> eat only meat for, for the month of March. And it was particularly steak, wasn't it? It was all beef, steak, wasn't it? Yeah. It was particularly yeah. steak. And uh, I mean, Brenda is the sort of person who will go buy some cubed steak uh, in the supermarket and walk around uh, eating it out <laughs> fresh and raw out of the package. <laughs> so she she loves her steak. I think this is a challenge. <laughs> I think this is a challenge for her to uh, try and put herself off steak as much as she possibly can yeah. by 
only eating steak. And I think I think they're allowed salt and pepper and just water. No spices other than salt and pepper. No, and but the thing uh. is that that is a ketogenic diet because if you get a particularly yeah. fatty cut of meat, and Brenda was getting primal cuts, which have got all the fat caps still left on them. Normally, butchers will trim that off. They consider that to be their part of their value add is that they remove all of the fat. But right. if you're on a ketogenic diet, you want to you want that fat because that's where you get your energy. Right. So. In this particular context, a ketogenic diet is eating only meat as long as you eat fatty cuts of meat. Right, fatty ribeyes, etc. That's that's right. But the basis of a ketogenic diet is if you don't eat carbohydrates, your body has to burn fat for energy, and that and in the process of burning fat, it makes ketones, which uh, provides eighty percent of your brain's energy. So, um, what they are doing is exactly a ketogenic diet. Yeah, right, exactly. So, what we always say at this part of the show is it's. 20 grams of carbohydrates or less per day, yep. moderate protein, one to one and a half grams of protein per kilogram of lean body mass that you yep. have, yep. and uh, fat to satiety. And in the case of what they were doing, they were probably going a bit high on their protein, uh, but you can do that when you have no carbs because uh, yeah. those carbs defray the amount of uh, protein that you're going to have to use to, to make glucose. So if you eat no carbs, then you, you can probably get away with a little bit more protein, which is, I guess is what they're doing. Yep. So, Carl, how was your week? My week was pretty good. Um, what can I say? I've, I've been focusing on Keto Fest right. here and on uh, getting the Kickstarter going. Mm -hmm. We hope the Kickstarter will be online sometime this week. Right. And you'll know because you'll go to KetoFest.com and it'll bring you right to the Kickstarter page. Sure. But uh, it takes three days to get approved. So we have to have all our ducks in a row and then submit everything and then... Three days later, maximum, boom, you're online. And then nice. 30 days from that will be the end of it. Um, here's something that I really want to tell everybody right in advance about Keto Fest. Yeah. Is that if you buy your tickets now, you're taking a big risk. because, And what I mean by tickets is plane tickets and hotel rooms and that stuff. Because we might not have it, right? right. I mean, if we don't raise enough money to cover our butts for Keto Fest, we won't have it. Right. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I appreciate, I hear people and I see people on the forum saying, we've got our hotel rooms, you know, we got plane tickets, we're coming. And that's cool. And hey, you know, if you come to New London, I'm not going to complain. I'm, no, I'm going to show you a good time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have a party anyway, Yeah. but uh, that's fine. But as as far as the rest of it goes, um, just just chill. We'll, we got to raise some money first. Yeah. So that's how my week was. I I'm still... You know, floating around. I haven't taken Megan Ramos's advice yet in switching it up. I've pretty much been, you know, just eating to satiety and enjoying myself. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that next week, actually. Yeah. So how was yours? How was your uh, week, Richard? Yeah, my week kind of sucked. Um, we went away last weekend for uh, Julie's parents' uh, 50th wedding anniversary. We had a dinner down in Melbourne, which is an eight-hour drive away. And while we were away, we had a, a, a professional babysitter look after our dogs, a professional dog sitter looking after our dogs. And as we were driving back, uh, she called us to say one of our dogs had gotten loose. Uh, and uh, then when we got home, we went looking for her. And uh, a couple of days later, we got uh, word back from the pound that uh, they had a dog corpse that, that had been killed on the road just oh, outside the uh, Prime Minister's Lodge, in fact. And it turned out that it was my dog. Um, and you probably recognise her. Her name's Bluebell. She, we mentioned Blue. her. Or Bloob, yeah. We mentioned her yeah. in uh, in a couple of our podcasts because she is a type 1 diabetic, which is appropriate for today's discussion. Um, and mm -hmm. she, uh, she had an interesting case where her – Adrenal glands was originally overdriving, and that's what gave her di diabetes. Mm. And mm. then as we, we removed one of her adrenal glands and we used a chemical treatment on the other to damp down its response, and so we could, we could know precisely, first of all, that she wasn't able to produce any insulin, so all of the insulin mm. in her body was the stuff that we injected. And secondly, we mm. knew that her glucose production was going to be dialing down over time as we chemically reduced the amount of production in, from the adrenal glands um, yeah. of, of cortisol. So 
this was an interesting opportunity to have an experiment because we started out, it required 100 units uh, a day, 50 units day and night, uh, to uh, to control the glucose. Of insu- yeah, that's right, of uh, international units of insulin. And uh, so it started out, she required 50 units of insulin to start off with. But then over time, she gradually required less and less insulin to keep her glucose at the right level. And so Hmm. that gave us an opportunity to observe what happened as her insulin changed. So when she started out, she was quite obese. She was about uh, 30-something kilos. And the Hmm. doctor or her veterinarian had told us, can you reduce the amount of food that you're giving her? And so we did. So we, we, we constrained her food to precisely 200 grams morning and evening of kangaroo mints with, uh, fortified with beef fat. So she ate exactly the same thing for the entire duration, but her insulin was changing to, as her, uh, as we fixed her adrenal problem. So. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is we gave her the same exercise. She always had the same walk, exactly the same areas, and she had the same food every day. But over that time, as we reduced her insulin, she lost weight. She went from over 30 kilograms to almost 20 kilograms exactly. Yeah, and that says a lot. That's right. It tells us that in her case, um, her body fat uh, percentage was being controlled precisely by her insulin. It was the only thing that was changing. Yeah. So the, yeah. other th- the other thing that's interesting about this is that uh, after that experiment, I, I wrote that up on our website, what my dog taught me about uh, calories in, calories out. Right. What was interesting is that uh, she lost weight over that time despite eating the same amount of food. And the difference there is that she became more energetic. When she started yeah. out and she was having so much insulin and she was so fat, uh, she was cold all the time. You could see she'd sit out in the sun and just she'd be like a lizard on a rock drawing in the energy. And right. she was lethargic, didn't want to do anything. Towards the end, once she was uh, under 20 kilograms and she was on – um, 34 units a day, that's 17 morning and evening of insulin. She mm. was like seeing imaginary butterflies and chasing them and she was, mm. you know, chasing lizards and stuff. So anyway- and This is what we do to our type 2 diabetics, isn't it? This is we load of, them up with insulin that makes it. them fat and, and lethargic and yep. sets them on that path to that quote unquote progressive disease. Yeah, that's right. And if we can dial down their insulin, um, then we're going to be, which is exactly what a ketogenic diet does, then we're right. going to increase their energy output. We're going to increase their ability to access their, their stored energy energy for for use as energy during the day. And the other thing that's interesting about Bluebell's case is once we had her insulin down to the same level, we then tried an additional experiment of increasing her food. So we doubled her food. So in the last three months before she died, we had doubled her food to 400 grams of kangaroo mince fortified with beef fat Mm. morning and evening. And she didn't change her body weight because her insulin didn't change in that time. So it's quite wow. interesting that what we think of in terms of energy coming in and out of a system, uh, we only look at food and uh, maybe exercise, and we don't realize that our bodies use energy all the time, and they're going to determine precisely how much energy they will use based on their mm. internal budget. And that will be that internal budget will be directed by how much insulin they have and uh, and. Uh, essentially that means that if we can reduce your insulin uh, that your body is producing, then um, you will lose weight. And that's exactly what thousands of us are discovering. That's exactly in right. In the world of keto. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So so I'm going to put up a post on our blog about Bluebell's last experiment and talk about how we doubled her food. I did take photos. In fact, the second last photo of her is of her getting an insulin injection as part of that experiment. Well, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss, but Thanks. she definitely gave her body to science. I think so. You know? <laughs> I yeah. think so. And good for you. Thank good you. for you for doing that. So my week kind of sucked, but I think we should get on with our show. Yes, we should. To that segment that we call... Mail! Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> so I've got an awesome one. This is from um, Brad Taylor, who uh, responded okay. on the ketogenic forums. Um, In the intro to the Keto Dudes podcast, you refer to keto as a form of dietary hacking. 
I believe it's time to change that to a form of eating correctly or something more creative. Let's hear it, folks. I love the show, but for some reason, referring to keto as hacking has bothered me. I know developers are quite fond of the term for breaking new ground, and we have a long way to go to make keto mainstream, but this is how we should be eating from what I can tell. So once again, love the show, hoping to hear a slight mod to the intro. Um, so, Brad, get your own show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. No, he actually has a really good point because the media has glommed on to hacking as being a bad thing. Um, True. You know, hackers break into systems. Hackers. Uh, open- Russian hackers. Right. That's Russian all hackers. we've heard about in the news. Yeah. Absolutely. But the hacking as a term of art for developers is the process of tweaking your code until it works. So you're hacking around, pulling bits off. Yeah. It's it's a little bit like sculpture. You know, you you yeah. you're hacking off all the bits that don't look like an elephant to produce a sculpture of an elephant. And that's you're really testing things out and tinkering and trying and tweaking and 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 trying things. I mean, hacking is essentially that, and in the truest sense of the word, right? It is trying things until they work. It's not cracking, which is what you think of when you hear the word hacking. Yeah, and I blame the media for that. Developers know that cracking is breaking into systems. Hacking is making code. So, um, and that's kind of what we're doing with the diet. We're basically Tweaking the diet to find out what is ideal for us individually because we're all unique. We all have slightly different metabolisms. We have to find out what works for us. And one of the interesting comments to that thread was from Fiorella who says, um, to me, there is some dietary hacking going on. I, I plan on eating keto or some version of it for the rest of my life, but I'm doing some more aggressive regimes today that I don't plan on continuing or expect to need for the rest of my life. And the metaphor that, mm. that Fiorella uses is it's a bit like a ship that 20 years ago was deflected off course by only five degrees. And while five yeah. degrees is not a lot, after 20 years, that ship is a long way away from its target. So aggressive maneuvering is required. You know, a 90-degree course correction is required just to point the ship back to its original target. But once you're back yeah. on course again, you can steer with less aggressive maneuvering again, but with a better knowledge of not allowing that five-degree deflection to occur again. And I think that's kind of why I like to explain to kids who are just starting to show signs of metabolic uh, dysregulation, they're just starting to Mm. become overweight, and I explain to them, look, you've got a slight deviation from what you should be doing that is a lot easier to correct today than if, like me, you waited till you're 38 because then right. the correction that you've got to make is is drastic. Uh, yeah. So I agree with the original commenter's comment about about hacking sounding a bit weird, but to our ears it doesn't because hacking for us yeah. is just – tweaking and getting things right for us individually. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to we're going to keep the word hacking in there because in the truest sense of the word that's essentially what we're doing. We're we're hacking our biology. Really. Yeah. And I'd feel weird if I called us tweakers. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to tweak. No. Nope. Not going to go there. All right. Well, um I'm going to highlight a thread mm. on the ketogenic forums, which you can get to at forum.2keto.com. Free yeah. forum, by the way. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Uh, Ron Coleman, okay. and I'm going to call him by name because this is in an f- open public forum, so there's no, no, there's no problem with calling Ron Coleman by name. 26 days ago. Right. Okay. Ron said... I have been LCHF for 20 months, down 80 pounds, and all my blood tests are great, so I am happy. Yeah. Still want to lose some more weight, but have been plateaued for a while, probably due to heavy snacking. Yes, Mm -hmm. those fat bombs and other treats really do add up. Ron, man, I feel your pain. (laughs) This is where I am, right? So he goes on, I started serious fasting last August with a five-day fast, and I've done several other fasts up to nine days since then. Now I'm going to really challenge myself with Lent starting tomorrow. Uh, We know that the longest recorded fast was 382 days in the 60s. That's Angus Barbieri. That's right. So I'm not going for that record, but a 40 to 46-day fast would be quite a feat. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm not saying I will make it. All the way, as I know from past fasts, that the mental problem I like to eat will haunt me as I progress. I will fight to endure. (laughs) Looking for some encouragement, yada, yada. He's having blood work done. All right. So this has turned into the monster thread. Uh, There are 187 messages in this thread. How awesome is that? Yeah. 
Three hours ago, just three hours ago, this is what Ron said. Day 26 and 623 hours fasted on water, coffee, bone broth, electrolytes, and occasional heavy cream. Wow, what a busy weekend. Other than sleeping, I think I was home for 30 minutes Saturday and 45 minutes today, and I feel great. Probably just water. Here are my numbers for today. All right. Mm. So after 26 days of fasts, he has lost... 20.8 pounds or 9.4 kilos. Mm-hmm. Yep. His glucose is 73 nice. or 4.1. His ketones are 4.8. <laughs> I can never get mine that high with one exception. In Breckenridge, I saw a, a, above four. Yeah. And he's doing the math. Like he's, he's plotting yeah. graphs and showing you glucose versus ketones which have almost an exact inverse relationship. Yep. And uh, it's just fantastic. Ron, this is great. Yeah. The, the sum of glucose and ketones is where you get your energy from for your brain. So uh, so it makes sense that there's an inverse relationship there because the two of them together yeah. have to fully power your brain and the rest of your body. So he's had such great enthusiasm from the admins and from the other people on oh, the yeah. forums. And I just wanted to shout out, Ron, well done. Keep going. Uh, you're an inspiration. And, and along the way, he's just posting how awesome he feels. And, yeah. you know, uh, a couple times where he really wanted to eat, but decided to go with bone broth or a little heavy cream or something. And that's it. Nice. I think the important thing when you're doing a long fast is to listen to your body. And yeah. there may come a time when you just don't feel good. If you don't feel good, yep. stop. You know, yeah. don't, a, a number is just a number. So who cares if it's 40 days or 30 days or 20 or 5 or or 2, whatever right. is the number that's right for you, your body will tell you when it's had enough. Yeah, the first one I did I think was 2 days and then I went 3 and I'm just going to I'll go for 5 next time. I'm not going to yeah. go for a 30-day fast. I'm just going to try to keep in- incrementing it. And I I look at it very much as Jimmy Moore does as a workout, you yeah. know. I, I think the maximum I, I did was 10 days on the on the barrel head um, and yeah. Brenda has done the same. That was a stretch for me. I don't think I necessarily want to do it that much again. I lost mm. about eight kilograms in 10 days and mm. uh, that was a uh, it was a scary amount of weight to lose so quickly. I, I yeah. personally I don't consider weight to be a really a reliable metric for health and right. so I didn't think that losing more weight was definitely necessarily uh, a marker of better health. Well, it's time to introduce our guest. He's been a friend of mine for many years, um, mostly as a musician, but uh, also informed me early on in our friendship that he had type 1 diabetes. Um, Just a great guy. Welcome to the show, Ian Kelly. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, Ian, you told me the story of how you got type 1 diabetes. A lot of people get it when they're kids, um, you know, basically some infection gone wrong or something like that. But that wasn't the case with you. What happened? Well, uh, let's see. I was 27 years old. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, um, thirsty. I I mean, like a beyond uh, what you can imagine thirsty could be. Uh, Felt like I had been hiking in the desert. Uh, without water for two weeks. Mm. And I thought, well, something's, this is obviously not right. Uh, I spent the next three or four days like that, waking up two or three times a night. And then next thing I know, I'm drinking a tremendous amount of liquids, whatever I could get my hands on. Right. Um, but something happened before that well, that you really didn't – you I'll, put together pieces together later, right? Yeah, I'll get to that. This, okay. is, this is sort of uh, leading up to that. This is the first indication. This is the first thing that happened to me. And, yeah. um, and, it's, and it's, it's actually important to detail, I think, because if this ever happens to anybody, um, yeah. don't wait as long as I did, um, okay. a week or so, before you go and get your glucoses checked. Mm. Um, so the frequent thirst thing was, was the first thing. And yeah. then, of course, I'm drinking a tremendous amount of liquids. Right. Now I'm going to the bathroom all the time. Constantly, yeah. And it was like, okay, wait a second. Something's wrong here. My first mm. instinct was I am, um, I've got a bug. I'm, my body's trying to work it out. Um, but I ended up, I was playing drums at, uh, on a jazz gig. Uh, I had lost a lot of weight. 
Hmm. Um, Which is interesting because you're thin to begin with. I'm thin. I, I always exercise. I ate very well. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was wasn't anything. You know, it was it was out of the norm that I lost the weight that I did. Yeah. Yeah, that's also another symptom of uh, type one. Uh, Absolutely, the, th- the thirst definitely, and yeah, dr- dramatic weight loss because mm. you're not able to um, uh, get energy into body fat. That's correct. And so what, what you know? So now I've got no energy, right? And I'm mm. pale as a ghost, right? Uh, and I'm on a gig, and I'm playing the drums, and I just didn't feel right, obviously. And during the set break, I was talking with a good friend of mine that I went to high school with that I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for. Uh, and she said, wow, you don't look good. Mm. And I thought, well, I said, well, I don't feel good. And she said, what are the symptoms? And I said, well, I've got this, you know, I'm thirsty all the time. I'm going to the bathroom all the time. I've lost weight, you know, and she goes, well, that sounds like diabetes. Mm. So, um, Wow. Yeah, and I and I thought, what? No, it couldn't be. You right. Know, it's, it's probably just I've got a cold. You're you know? a young guy, healthy. <laughs> What's like going 27 on? 27 years old. Yeah. I'm, you know. And she said, and she got in my face, and she said, no, hmm. that sounds like diabetes. You're going to go to the clinic first thing in the morning and get your glucose tested. Right. Right. And I thought, wow, this is strange. You know, right. Yeah. My aunt's a diabetic, a type one diabetic. Yeah. I went. Wow. I, I woke up the next morning. I went to the clinic. Um, and they took my glucose. They sent me immediately to the emergency room because their meter didn't go that high. What? Uh, ouch. I went to the emergency room and my glucose was 695. Oh, my. Whoa. 800 is is like your, I, you should I believe, be dead. is you're your, your sort of in a coma at that point. So yeah. I was yeah. half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich away from, you know. Wow. It was, it was I waited too long, uh, but- Fact is, I got in there and and uh, they diagnosed it and mm-hmm. and I, you know I, I started doing the math and kind of going well wait a second why uh, this brings us to what we were talking about yeah, earlier. yeah why did this all of a sudden happen um, and then I sort of said well you know three months ago I found a Lyme tick on my leg now for those who don't know in this part of the world we have Lyme disease which is named after Lyme Connecticut where it was first discovered it's a tick-borne bacterial infection illness. There's actually a lot of controversy in Australia right now because uh, there's a lot of people claiming that they have symptoms of Lyme disease in Australia and the medical authorities say, of course, that can't be true because uh, Lyme ticks don't exist in Australia. No. But we have a lot of very uh, uh, very dangerous tick-borne um, uh, diseases and it seems to be, and there's a Senate inquiry going on about it right now, it seems to be that uh, Lyme disease has uh, somehow gotten into Australia. Uh, it's one plane flight away from spreading, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's this is going to be one of the worst years in recorded history for Lyme disease. Wow. So uh, it's something to think about for sure. So getting back to your story, three months ago, you had Lyme disease. Yeah. Three months before I was in the hospital with a 695 glucose, mm. I found a Lyme tick on my leg and pulled it off, put it in a plastic bag, went down to the walk-in clinic and said, what do I do about this? They prescribed me doxycycline as a precautionary, just in case I got the Lyme disease. Now, did you have the ring around the no. tick bite? That most—that's a telltale sign of it. No, I had nothing. I just found the tick, and, okay. I, and they didn't know. They took tests to see if I actually had the Lyme disease. Yeah. Turned out I didn't have it, but they gave me the doxycycline anyway. And exactly three months later, I was in the hospital with a 695 glucose and a wow. pancreas that failed. So, you know, I started going, well, wait a second, you know. Is there a connection? Is there a connection? I went into um, the bookstore and I pulled out the big book of uh, prescriptions, looked up doxycycline, went all the way down to the end where it says, you know, uh, pay attention if this is happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing it says is if you ever experience excessive thirst or frequent urination, see your doctor immediately. And wow, I just dropped. Wow. I just dropped the book on the floor, and yeah. and and was in complete disbelief, thinking it was sort of intuitive. Oh my gosh, this is what happened. But when I brought it to my doctor, he sort of you know brushed it aside and said, you know, uh, no, 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 the two don't have anything to do with each other. And I thought, well, isn't this worth looking into? Right, because hi- obviously the book says it does. The book says it does. I have a history of type 1 diabetes in my family, on right. both sides of my family, right. my mom's side and my dad's side. 
Um, and I've taken doxycycline, and three months later, I've had frequent ear th- uh, thirst. And had you taken doxycycline before that you can remember? No, no. So it was the first time. So it's interesting, Ian. I I had I just got over a big infection on my hand. And uh, I had to have two rounds of doxycycline, but I had taken it before, but they never asked me if I had a history of type 1 diabetes. I get, is there, when you looked further, did you see that um, people with a history of type 1 diabetes who take doxycycline for their first time are at risk for developing diabetes? Is there any? You know, that's a great question. I, I did do some research, and we're going back uh, 14 years ago now right. that, I, that I got it. So at the time... Um, a year or two after I uh, got type 1 diabetes, there really wasn't a lot of cases. There wasn't a lot of cases of uh, people just weren't talking about it. Right. It's probably a very low incidence. I would imagine it is. Um, but to my, you know, my opinion is it certainly should be looked at. Yeah. Because if you have a history of type, you know, the first thing they should say, I believe, is it before they prescribe it. And I'm no doctor, first of all. So I don't know... Um, if this is true or not, yeah. but it certainly should be looked into. I yeah. mean, um, mm, for, sure. for for those symptoms to be, uh, you know, clear in that book, and that's exactly what happened to me. And the nurse said to me when I went in with the 695 glucose, she said, well, I said, how could this be? And she said, um, well, something happened that triggered uh, yeah. all of the insulin-producing islet cells in your pancreas to... Uh, stop to working, die to die yeah. and, and your pancreas to stop working probably three or four months ago yeah that, that those were her words that was the clue and I, and that's why I started doing the research wow so that's that's interesting and and I would also say to people that you know antibiotics have saved lives and you know just in just in the case of a simple infection an antibiotic is a miracle and uh, if if you don't get an infection taken care of, you will lose body parts. Like they, you will have to have, have amputations. People don't think of that because it, they're just so prevalent. But it's it's worth being prudent. I mean, here's Ian's story. I mean, you you can't deny it. There there may have been something wrong with your pancreas. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not either. That it may have <laughs> you may have had a gene that that was more susceptible to this whatever. I don't know. I think with uh, type one on both sides of your family, there is a there is a a genetic component to people being susceptible to um, right. a, having their pancreatic damage. So um, a lot of there's a lot of theories about what causes uh, type one, and they, th- my suspicion is that there's multiple things that will cause it. Yeah. But one of them they say is a, a leaky gut with uh, milk proteins coming in through the gut, and then the the immune system learning to uh, to attack those uh, milk proteins and, right. and basically learning to attack the islets of longer hunts and and uh, the beta beta cells that, that produce insulin. So you know that's uh, that's there's some very Weird and strange uh, mechanisms that people are looking into, but it sounds like this just this isn't an autoimmune thing. It sounds like uh, uh, you know this is a, a direct. Uh, have you heard anything about the actual mechanism behind how doxycycline is associated with uh, type one diabetes? I haven't. No, and it's not something that I, I looked really too you know too much yeah, further yeah. into. I imagine you drop um, when you dropped the book, you were like, oh my god, you'd be. I can't imagine your anger well, towards your doctor. You know, there's sometimes you just have a feeling, and it's yeah. and you know uh, that one was backed up by research. Yep. Um, you know, there's a lot. You know, if you look up, you know, where um, type one diabetes starts um, for yeah. pe- for people where for people like me uh, who are a little bit older that get it. I mean, it's typically known as juvenile diabetes. Right. Uh, it's you know becoming less and less uh, juvenile juvenile diabetes um, and becoming more, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are, It's also funny that adult onset, quote unquote, type two is becoming more juvenile. <laughs> okay. There you go. It's See, going I both no, ways. I had no idea. Oh yeah. Kids are being born with it or six months old. That's bizarre. No, kids in the womb, kids in the womb that are exposed to a lot of glucose. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the insulin doesn't cross the barrier to the, to the fetus, but the glucose does. So if the mother, if the mother is, you know, got gestational diabetes or type two diabetes, they've got high levels of glucose and insulin. The baby's got to is going to get all the glucose and then it's got to overproduce the insulin. So they they're starting sort of in the womb, um, 
what most people used to do later on in life. And so by the time they get into their early teens, they're already starting to, to get the kinds of diseases people used to get in their 50s and 60s. It's just amazing. I mean, if you take, uh, you know, into consideration that, you know, with type 1 diabetes, uh, what I've heard and what I've read is, you know, typically there has to be some sort of uh, history of it in your family yeah, and then something else to trigger it. Right. Uh, especially for people that get it later in life, yeah, uh, such right. as myself. Um, yeah, so, that's exactly what I was thinking when I thought there must have been some precondition that made you susceptible to it. But you know, here's the key: your doctor should have known, and your doctor should have asked you the simple questions before prescribing. And told it. you to look out for the symptoms. I mean, I, I, I'm just thinking about my symptoms of type two diabetes, and they're similar to yours. I mean, uh, thirst and, and urination, and uh, you know, troubles, you know, feeling just run down all the time. Uh, you yeah. know, and and my blood glucose was uh, over 350, so it, was, it wasn't as high as yours, but it was still pretty high. Sure, sure. So I want to know what you did in terms of your research and diet and exercise and all the things that, I mean, did you have a talk with a, a nurse, a diabetic nurse who advised you and what to eat and how was that advice and how did that go? I, let's hear the story from when you got it. Yeah, sure. Um, well, um, you know, the first thing, one of the first things you do is you see a nutritionalist. And, hmm. you, you know, they, I went to a class, um, there was probably 15 people in the class that I went to. Wow. I was the only type one diabetic. Oh, they really, they put you all in a class together. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if there's, I know that there's a lot less uh, type ones and type twos. Yeah. Uh, maybe that was what it was. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sitting there in the class and I'm really paying attention and I'm trying to get an idea of, you know, carbohydrates and, mm. you know, glycemic index mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that. Sure. This is all new to me. Um, when I started uh, going to the classes and uh, sitting there and, you know, getting boxes of uh, food uh, to be able to see, um, you know, how many carbohydrates, how to count carbohydrates, how to, you know, yeah. factor in the fiber in that carb in those carbohydrates. Yeah. I, I think maybe, uh, you know, looking back, maybe they were using some of those uh, boxes of cereal and some of the things that really you shouldn't be eating, uh, especially if you're a diabetic. Just as, you know, to make a point. That, to make the point. Listen, there's this, this is a lot of carbohydrates and this is going to get all turned into sugars. Yeah. So um, it did seem strange to me, but, you know, being a newbie to diabetes, mm. um, I wasn't quite sure what to think. Um, I just, I just didn't feel like I was getting a hundred percent of the story by going to these uh, classes. So I started just getting books out yeah. and uh, reading books of other type one diabetics. None of my doctors were type one diabetics. Right. Uh, you know, they've got the math on the paper, but, yep. uh, you know, when you, when you factor in stress, which I was going through, uh, yep. you know, a lot back when that was going on and you factor in all the other things, um, that raise glucose, um, and lower it for that yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I felt like I needed to do my own uh, bit of research. Um, and so I just, I have a lot of books at home yeah. <laughs> on the endocrine system yeah. and how it works. Right. Um, you know, and, I, and I've and i been, uh, you know, fairly diligent at uh, exercising and um, eating well and taking care of myself and meditating and, and trying to keep the stress levels down. Uh, but still my A1C is way higher than um, I'd like it to be. What is it currently, if you don't mind asking? Uh, last one I had was 6.8. Uh, right. And that was from about a month ago I went in there. And you have both a continuous glucose monitor on one side of your body and an insulin pump on the yep. other side, just like our friend Scott Hanselman. I did. have a Dexcom mm. G5 uh, continuous glucose monitor, which is fantastic. Uh, I'm nice. Sh I'm, sure yeah. any I'm sure anybody that has it would agree. <laughs> uh, it uh, takes my glucose every five minutes and records it. Um, yeah. My insulin pump is uh, Medtronic. Uh, it's been fantastic as well. Um, it gives me a basal insulin throughout the day, um, and then I can just take a bolus insulin whenever I eat something that has any kind of sugars in it. What's the difference, basal and bolus? Well, your basal insulin is is uh, sort of a longer-lasting insulin. Um, you can set your basal rate 
uh, to, uh, you know, let's say I have uh, an X amount of insulin every morning at eight o'clock, just automatically, and then maybe at twelve. So and it's maybe a, a long-acting insulin that keeps yeah, it keeps just a level. It keeps sort of just a, a just a calm level throughout the day. Yeah, based on what your trends are as far as what you typically eat. Do for exercise, work, all that stuff. And bolus is what happens after you eat glucose and you need a spike. Yeah, I mean, if I ate a piece of cake right now, yeah. I'd have to take a lot of bolus insulin. Gotcha. <laughs> it's, just, it's 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 in my insulin pump. It's the same type of insulin. It's just the delivery method yep. is a little different. Good, good to know. Yeah. All right. So so um, about a week ago, or t- a few weeks ago, actually, when Richard was here and we saw you playing uh, with your jazz band at the Danny Packer Inn. And um, we we got to talking about it. You've been you, you've been telling me you've been interested in this ketogenic diet thing for you. Me, I don't know anything about type one diabetes and ketogenics, so I sent you to the Facebook group Type One Grit. So that was about a week ago. You got serious about it. Tell us what happened. So you know, I'm I'm sort of always willing to try uh, different things, um, and being that I have a continuous glucose monitor. Uh, it's, it's, I can kind of experiment a little bit. Right. It's got alarms on it, you know, mm. which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it'll wake you up in the middle of the night if you have a low <laughs> glucose vent, won't it? And believe me, it does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my wife particularly loves that feature. <laughs> um, so I, I basically just said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut carbs out completely. Mm. I'm not going to eat any mm. bread. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I was talking with Carl about it. We had a rehearsal here at the studio. I was talking with Carl about, what I should cut out. And we just kept it simple. Um, and I woke up in the morning and I just, I had eggs and bacon and, and I basically, nice. I put some, a little bit of uh, green peppers on the pan before I cooked the eggs up. Yeah. And, yeah. And I didn't take any insulin hmm. and my glucose in the morning, I think it was 82. Um, Perfect. At lunchtime it was 87. Now you didn't no, take I any s- bolus insulin, but you still had I didn't basal take insulin. It, I didn't take any bolus insulin. There's you still a, had a basal rate. There's a, there's a very and it's a very small amount of uh, basal that I, that I get. And, yeah, and that's because I'm an active person. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't. Well, and everybody really, needs some. I, everybody need. Yeah, exactly. All the time too, because right. your body is always maintaining that five millimole, or I guess it's about ninety milligrams per deciliter in your in your between eighty and ninety in your body all the time to keep your brain alive and. Mm. Uh, and that bolus insulin is, uh, I mean, Carl and I can still make insulin with our pancreases um, and we have other insulin problems as type 2 diabetics, but um, we're continually making that small amount uh, through the day uh, to to basically enable us to use the glucose that our own livers are making. We're not eating glucose anymore. We don't eat starches and sugars, but our livers all the time are making glucose uh, based on how much uh, is in in our blood. And uh, so that basal insulin that you're pushing um, continuously is just doing the same thing as our pancreases are. And I haven't changed a thing with that. In fact, I may end up having to uh, take less basil uh, based on the mm-hmm. last the last week's results. Which were what? Uh, well, I mean, my glucose is every single day have been. Um, I haven't had. I only had one time throughout the whole week where I went above one fifty. Huh. Wow. And and is that abnormal for you? Completely abnormal. I mean, wow. I, I would wake up in the morning uh, and have breakfast, and by lunchtime, I could have a 200-and-something wow. uh, glucose. Uh, not all the time, yeah. uh, but sometimes. Um, right. And just from a couple pieces of toast. Just from a couple pieces of toast or, yeah. uh, you know, drinking the wrong kind of smoothie. Yeah, uh, something right. with right. Something with fruit juice in it or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, something like that. <laughs> Um, or sugar, or sugar. People yeah. add sugar to smoothies, you know, this, th- that kind mm. of thing. Um, just and and not that I was, you know, uh, I'm not eating a whole loaf. Right, of not bread. eating chocolate uh, cake uh, or a loaf of bread. And I'm eating yeah. good bread too. Sure. I, I, you know, it wasn't anything like that. Um, I just decided I'm not going to have any. I'm not going to put any sugar in my coffee. I, I would usually put a tiny bit of um, sugar in my coffee. Mm. I just decided I'm not going to do anything. Right. I'm just going to eat vegetables and some meats, some yeah. good quality meats, and just see what happens. Yeah. And uh, every time I look down at my phone to see what my glucose is, it's uh, within 100, 
80, 100, yeah. 120. 86 was when, what you showed me yeah. was your average over the week or something like that. The, the av- I mean, one time it went up um, above 150. I got up to about 200 um, a few days ago. And I'm not sure why. It could have been stress-related. Could have been. Yeah. Um, we make glucose. When we, when we get stressed, the cortisol response will, will actually cause our livers to emit glucose into our body to cope with either fighting whatever it is that's going to stress us or running away from it. Mm. Sure. So, uh, yeah, we make glucose. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that's, um, I think that's really what happened because mm. I hadn't eaten anything yeah, uh, yeah. that would cause it to spike. So, um, But having the glucose monitor right there. Um, but I, you, I remember your concern was hypoglycemia, right? Sure. It going too low. Yep. In other words, mm-hmm. maybe your your insulin pump would be over, you know, was still making insulin at, at a rate that it, um, you know, is bringing sugar down. That, and it's still a concern. Yeah, um, it's it's always a it concern. Should be, yeah, and it's your liver also. When you when you when we talked about uh, gluconeogenesis, where your liver makes glucose, Richard was just talking about it. You were saying, yeah, I wonder if my liver is just not making glucose. What if my liver doesn't work? And I remember Tim uh, asking Professor Tim Noakes, have you ever seen a case in which a liver didn't create glucose on demand because it's a demand system? Sure. And his answer was, not yet. I've never met a liver that couldn't. (laughs) Well, after we had that conversation, I did a little more research, actually, Hmm. uh, about the liver. And, um, you know, there's certain things that we can all do to to help our liver out so it works a little bit better. Um, Turns out my liver's fine. Yeah, Um, good. But- you know, I think that the reason why I'm concerned more about the low glucose is my glucose will just continue to plummet until I do something about it. Right. And this is right. when eating carbs and taking insulin. It, correct. Yeah. I'm hoping, and this is, you know, it's been a week, so, mm. um, you know, and I'm not going to stop doing what I've been doing the yeah. whole week. I'm hoping that um, the theory, your theory, will be true where um, everything will just sort of start to level itself out. Right. Um, I will have less lows. Yeah. Uh, I'll be taking less insulin. Yeah. Um, You'll probably always be taking some, you think? I probably yeah. will, uh, until they can reproduce the the islet cells in my sure. pancreas. Sure, sure. Um, yes, I will be always taking insulin. Um, yeah. But if I can take a lot less and yeah. have a lot less complications, yeah. uh, my stress levels, actually, I can honestly say this week... Uh, my stress levels other than, I don't know why I wasn't even really stressed out the day my glucose mm. went high. So that could have been anything. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been a lot less stressed out. Wow. Looking down at my phone and seeing my glucose at 85. Yeah. And not 300. Wonderful feeling. That's going to be a great experience. I can't even, I can't even tell you. And I, I can't remember the name of the gentleman um, in that article in, uh, was it type one grit? Type one grit. Yeah. Could be Dr. Bernstein. No, it was a young guy. He's thirty-seven. He had uh, diabetes for twenty uh, since he was twenty-seven. He had it for ten years, and he essentially doesn't eat any carbs, no sugars, right. anything. Right. And when I read that he had an A one C of four point eight, right. Uh, my my, I just immediately in that, and this was right last Wednesday in your yeah, studio. Yeah, that's right. I don't I remember just, his name either. I made a decision. I just said, okay, yeah, go for it. That's it. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm looking forward to see uh, to seeing the uh, getting my next A1C. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So are we. <laughs> right? The re- the reason why this is so important is because the higher your glucose, the more chances of all of the diabetic complications. And it's something like for every one percentage point increase in HbA1c, there's a 22 percent increase in uh, diabetic complications. There's a 37 percent increase in cardiovascular disease, and so. You know, we generally medicate people down to between six and a half and seven and a half because some of these medications can take the glucose too low. And this is why hypoglycemia is such a worry. Uh, that's the, the primary reason why we have a very conservative um, uh, approach to treating uh, people who are insulin dependent diabetics, mm. uh, which includes type twos who've just done so much damage to their pancreas that, that it no longer produces insulin. Um, so uh, this is one of the reasons why a dietary approach is such a good thing because um, 
all diabetics are unable to deal with high glucose events by using insulin. Either we can't make it or we make so much that our body won't use it. Uh, but we all have livers that are able to, on demand, respond by making just a little glucose, just to keep things at the low level. And mm. and so, you know, you see these these kids with type 1 diabetes with continuous glucose monitors, you see their before and after results. The, after, the before curve is like a very noisy, um, uh, high roller coasters values going up uh, too high and too low. And then their after curve, after... Uh, Moving to a ketogenic diet, they're like f- flatlining at five millimoles, between, you know, eighty-five ish. Just exactly <laughs> what it's you're like doing that for the whole week. Yeah, it, it's you know, I've believe me, I know all about the roller coasters. Yeah, and they're not and they're not fun. No. And 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 being somebody that uh, you know takes a lot of pride in taking care of myself, and, mm. and I love to mm. exercise, and I like I like to be active and healthy and eat good food, and, mm-hmm. and my wife and I are, uh, we take a lot of pride in, in, in all of that, especially with our kids, and sure. to see your, your glucose is, um, you know, up and down and roller coastering, I mean, if my glucose goes up because I ate a piece of pizza, um, Eventually, it's got to come back down, and a lot of times it comes sure. down too low. And, and yeah, you overcorrect. Lee, and have we got exactly. some pizza for you? Oh yeah, no, yeah. I can't, there's I can't. a uh, there's a ridiculously delicious pizza on this diet. I think I think, and it, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, because I will say the hardest part about this week has been figuring out what I'm going to eat. Right, because I'm so used right. to just going and making eggs and grabbing toast and uh oh oh sure i'll have half your pancake even though you didn't finish it you know to my so, daughter so i'm gonna i'm just gonna rattle off a few things here uh pancakes and waffles made with pork rinds oh my god thank you <laughs> brenda so zorn right. uh fathead yeah. pizza which is made with mozzarella cheese cream cheese and almond flour uh it yeah. makes a great crust very crispy very delicious rouse marinara sauce which you can find at big y or mcquade's or anything which has uh it's a pizza sauce or tomato sauce that only has three grams of carbs for half a cup um you can get a a, several options of low carb bread and do you like ribeye oh do i okay well you can (laughs) you pretty much eat all the meat you want and not worry about uh and not worry about any ill effects of eating too much fat the science is out there that fat is uh, in the in the, without carbohydrates, fat is actually delicious, good for you, and corrective. Yeah. Well, it's all new. I mean, this is all news to me, which sort yeah. of um, um, I don't know how to say this. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and I and I and I, to be honest, the the last week of glucose is. I wish I I, I wish I was able to print out. Uh, uh, it's you pretty much nailed it. I it mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's it's completely different. I you know I'm re- you know what I'm really looking forward to is getting my A1C uh, three months from now mm. uh, when I go to my uh, doctor's appointment and having it having seeing the change from the six point eight. Yeah. Um, hopefully it will be if, be if, if it f- continues fives. like this. It'll be in the fives, I bet. And then yeah. and then having my doctor go whoa. What what's going on? What yeah. are you, what are you doing? Right. Um, I mean, fat duck. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Uh, so we were talking about insulin uh, in the type two land, as you know, or you may you probably know, type two diabetics as they progress because they tell us it's a progressive only disease. As they progress and keep right. eating carbs and taking more metformin and getting on this medication and that medication, eventually it leads to insulin. And our friend Les. You know Les. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Les uh, was uh, taking, I can't remember how many units of insulin a day, but he was taking basal and bolus insulin. And uh, he went ketogenic, lost at least 50 pounds. And that was in October. And now he's completely off all insulin and all other medication. That's fantastic. Isn't that amazing? It's completely reversible. Yeah, I think in January he was down to fifty percent, and he's right. now totally off it. Right, you have to titrate it down. That's the, it's very important when you go on this diet for that, type twos. Uh, anyway. You know, 
especially if you're type twos, yeah, you, you you should let your doctor know, especially if you don't have a continuous glucose monitor. I mean, Ian's yeah. got the advantages; he's got a he's got a monitor straight into his system that yep. tells him exactly where he's at. Yeah. That's an important point. It is. A very important point because uh, I've had experiences in the past before I had my CGM um, mm. where I, my glucose went too low in the middle of the night. Mm. I didn't wake up. Mm. And um, when I – my wife woke up to me having a seizure yeah. because my glucose was 20-something. Yeah. Um, Not enough for you to keep your brain alive. Exactly. Thank, thankfully, she woke up. Um, and was and we were able to correct it, but mm. um, you know the CGM is an incredible uh, investment if you don't have one. Yeah, uh, I highly recommend uh, getting one. Not only so that you can see the trends and mm-hmm. you can learn from them, mm. but so that you you know so that you can see. Wow, I've uh, had a piece of bread, and this is what it did to my glucose. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or I didn't have a piece of bread, and this is what it didn't yeah, do to my glucose. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, Ian, thanks very much for telling your story. I hope you'll come back uh, next year, maybe, and tell us in three months' time, maybe. Yeah, maybe in three, three months. months' time. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to report my new A one C. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you can't make it to the show, we'll at least tell the listeners what it was. Fantastic. That's right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Wow, that was awesome. And by the way, we recorded that five days before we recorded the intro. So five days have passed since, and he's shown me his glucose has been steady, 75. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, he's- I think it's a really good tool to have a continuous glucose monitor. If you mm. have uh, if you have type 1 diabetes and you don't have a continuous glucose monitor, it's going to be a lot tougher to be able to dial in things. But with a CGM, you know if you're going to have a hypo event in the middle of the night, it's going to wake you up. Uh, there's a certain amount of uh, confidence that that gives you to to try some dietary hacking. <laughs> yeah, and if you remember, his biggest worry was hypoglycemia, that he was right. going to have – it was going to go too low. His liver wouldn't his, kick in. And his liver wouldn't kick in, but apparently it's all working, and yeah. it's working great. Nice. So I hope that uh, inspired a few other people. So that brings us to recipes. 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 <laughs> Recipe. Oh, yeah. So I've got an awesome recipe this week. Uh, All right. As you know, I've had a pretty nasty week, and yeah. so I've needed comfort food. And right. I haven't gone for nutritional density or perfect no. keto food. I've no. just gone for food that makes Julie and I feel better. Yeah. And for the past couple of days, <laughs> we've been eating cheesy macaroni. Cheesy macaroni? You mean like shirataki noodles with cheese sauce? Yeah, kind of. In fact, it's a little bit more adult than that. We're using uh, smoky lamb floss and Whoa. with cheesy macaroni in a lettuce sung choy bao. Wow, nice. Lamb floss. Do you mean like really stringy pieces of lamb meat? Yeah, so what we did was we smoked some lamb shoulder in our hot smoker for about 30 minutes just to get some hickory flavor in it and then cooked it down until it was basically pulled meat in a slow cooker. So slow cooked Mm -hmm. it for 10, 12 hours with a bay leaf and a little bit of liquid and stuff. And so pull the bones out of it. And so what you have left is meat that you can use a pair of forks to just shred. And it's lamb flavored. We also had some rosemary in there, so rosemary and garlic. So all of the really nice flavors that go with lamb. So it was pulled lamb meat. So if you take that lamb, the pulled lamb, and you put it in a fry pan with a little bit of that lamb fat and then fry it, it becomes crispy. Ooh. And we call this lamb floss. Nice. You can do it with any kind of meat. You can do it with pork and with beef and goat. Um, nice. But so, th- so this lamb, and I like to spread out the pulled meat across the bottom of a hot skillet. With uh, uh, render the render the oils down, and then when the bottom has become crisp, I flip the whole thing over like a roasty. So it's well, it roasty. Do you like, mean like a like a like a potato pancake or something? It looks yeah, like yeah, hash yeah, browns. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's exactly right. But we're really getting it crispy, crispy. Mm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that on a lettuce leaf with some cheesy mac. And cheesy mac's easy to make. I get. Um, shirataki noodles and Mm -hmm. I cook them in the microwave to remove the smell and rinse them a couple of times. We've spoken about this before, but it's a fairly simple process. But I was able to find penne shirataki on eBay. Now, this is something that 
I've had trouble trying to find elsewhere. So, um, hmm. wow. uh, and penne is almost like elbow macaroni. I haven't yeah. quite found elbow macaroni. That would be the ideal. I uh, actually found that. some and I didn't like you it. Did? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I found some. I didn't like it. I'll, I'll show you. I'll, I'll tell you what the brand is offline, but yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So, to make the cheese sauce, we use uh, trisodium citrate, which is a salt that emulsifies the oils in cheese into hot water. So what I do is I take uh, about 100 grams of water, get it boiling, and then I add to that about 200 grams of cheese and about a teaspoon of trisodium citrate and then use a stick blender to, to blend it up. Now, you can use... That recipe is double the mass of cheese to water, and that ends up with quite a thick sauce. Uh, if you want a thinner sauce, you can go to a one-to-one ratio, so you can 100 grams of cheese and 100 grams of water, and you'll end up with like cheese soup. So it's up to you where you want that to be. But for this particular recipe, I'm going to eat this on a lettuce leaf. It's like a lettuce leaf bowl or sang choy bao, the Chinese call it, and uh, it's going to have the lamb floss and the cheesy macaroni, I'm just going to wrap it up and eat it like a package. Wow. So when you need comfort food, uh, I highly recommend it. That's awesome, Richard. I'm going to I'm gonna do that floss, definitely. Yeah, it's good. So what recipe have you got this week, Carl? Well, my recipe today is old-fashioned whoopie pies. Whoopie pie? What's a whoopie pie? Well, all right. You may have seen these. They look like big Oreo cookies. So they're a chocolate cake round that's, I don't know, maybe what, five inches round, four or five inches round. And it's just a round. So if you think of a muffin top pan, like just a muffin top, you take that, two of those, and you put a thick whipped cream, you know, in... In New England, these are a summer treat. So you, but they, but they're, it's like Crisco and sugar normally. But you know, I <laughs> so use it's like a, a Klondike bar, except instead of ice cream, it's whipped cream. Yeah, and Klondike—that must be an Australian thing. But there is a brand of ice cream bar called Klondike in the United States, which oh, okay. is just chocolate right. cut and crispy covered ice cream. Oh, but okay. yeah, I think you're talking about the same thing. It's an ice cream yeah, sandwich yeah. with chocolate cake. Yeah. Right. So, so this is a chocolate cake and uh, mm. a whipped cream concoction, and um, let me tell you how to do it. Yeah. So there's two ways that you can cook these cakes, and the first one is kind of like a mug cake. You know what a mug cake is. You get like oh, some yeah. stuff together, you put it all in a cup, and you microwave it for a minute, and it turns into a cake. Yeah, they always seem dense to me. But yeah, they are. And this the secret there is baking powder. The baking powder activates and it really poofs stuff up. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I recommend using a muffin top pan. So you get a quarter of a cup of almond flour, the fine almond flour, not almond meal, a quarter right. teaspoon of baking powder, three tablespoons of swerve or other sweeteners. And if you're using xylitol, just remember that it's poison to dogs. Right. Uh, two tablespoons of cocoa powder, and I use Hershey's Special Dark Cocoa Powder. It's my favorite cocoa powder. Mm, yeah. First time I ever saw it, Emmy made a chocolate cake at home, and uh, this was before keto, and I said, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, two tablespoons of melted butter. I'm going to add a tablespoon of olive oil, mm-hmm. and everybody knows that oil makes a cake moist and delicious. Yeah. And olive oil is really wonderful. Yeah, so, it's a lovely taste to it too. Yeah. Yep. You're going to need a large egg, a teaspoon of vanilla extract, a pinch of salt, and a tablespoon of water. Uh, so the filling, you, it's just whipped cream. It's a cup of heavy whipping cream, a teaspoon of vanilla extract, right. and a tablespoon of swerve or sweetener. Um, but we'll talk about that in a second. So mm. preheat the oven to 350 Fahrenheit or 180 Celsius. You mix together all the dry ingredients in one bowl, all the wet ingredients in another bowl, mix the wet, add it to the dry. Easy peasy. Now, you dole out two cakes worth, because that's what this makes. It makes one whoopie okay. pie. So therefore, if you have a, a muffin tin that has six you know, places on it, you sure. multiply by three, and you can make three whoopie pies. So dole out the cakes into a grease muffin top pan. You bake at 350 for 15 minutes. Or until a toothpick stuck in the center comes out clean. Mm. And you remove these and let them stand for just a couple of minutes right in the pan. And then to get them out, you use a rubber spatula and just go around the edges 
and then right through the middle and put it on a wire rack to cool. Right. Now, once it's cooled a few minutes, here's what I do. In a muffin top pan, you have the, the dome and then you've got the, the sunken part, right? The, the, the part that goes inside the pan. The edge. Yeah. The I edge. take that bottom layer off. You know what I'm saying? So you have to cut it lengthwise so that you're only getting the top of the muffin. Gotcha. Yeah. Otherwise, it's too thick. Now, if yeah. you like them thick, that's fine. But I think it's better to cut a little bit of it. And you're basically cutting half of it off. And what I do yeah. is I throw that in a bowl with a leftover whipped cream, mix it all up, and it's still just as good. Deconstructed whoopie pie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So to make the filling, you whip the cream in a chilled stainless steel or copper bowl almost until it's butter. And you can't go to butter. You have to you have to get it before it goes to butter. But it's going to be yeah. past stiff peaks, right? But if you... If you do accidentally go to butter, what I suggest is take it even further because what you think of as, oh dear, I've whipped my cream too much and it's turned to butter, isn't quite there yet. It's about mm. halfway there. So you take it even further, add some herbs to it and uh, store it in your fridge as herbed butter and add it to add it to a steak or something like that. Yeah, and there you go. <laughs> and yeah. then start again from scratch because you, you don't, you don't want be butter a, for this recipe. That would be a very happy accident. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so you whip the cream without anything else in it, right? Right. And once you get it to that stage where you can kind of scoop it up with your finger and it just hangs on the end of your finger and, you know, it's it's getting really thick now. Yeah. Now you add your vanilla and your swerve or your sweetener and just uh, give it another few spins and now you can just assemble just it. Just to fold, and, fold the flavors in. So you're really trying to get – you're trying to aerate the cream first. Right, yeah, the alcohol and vanilla extract will totally deflate and kill a yeah. whipped cream. So you want to whip it first. Yeah. And that's it. Now assemble it, you know. Put one down, spread about, I don't know, a half inch to an inch of cream on there and put the other one on. And oh my goodness, people, I've converted people to ketogenic diets with this. <laughs> I've said, hey man, you eat this every day and you're you're going to cure yourself of diabetes and diabetes. lose weight. And they're like, no way, no way. Get out of here. Well, that's a bit of a stretch, but it's yeah, certainly, it's a stretch. you can certainly eat that for a couple of days to get started. I think with people that the, it's important to know that this diet is not restrictive. You're going to be able to eat a lot of things that you thought you couldn't eat on a diet. Right. And for me, I've never tried whoopie pie. I think I might try one. But, you know, and you're right, Richard. I mean, if I ate one of these every day, I probably wouldn't lose any weight, but I certainly wouldn't gain any either. <laughs> and your diabetes would be perfectly in control. Your glycemic, right. your glycemic control would be perfect. Yep. You got that right. Well, that's the show, buddy. Of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, or some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram yep. at 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join our forum, it's www.ketogenicforums.com or forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other <laughs> junk with witty keto sayings on it, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our podcast and our forums, hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com. Uh, you can also see our podcast and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on iTunes. Absolutely. Keep calm and keto on, Richard. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right, and we'll see you next time on, on Two, Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.